Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mesh. I am one of the pastors here at church, and we are glad you are here this morning. And we're going to talk today about Palm Sunday. Uh, before I get there, I just want to give you a couple of updates and just about what's been going around here at the church. We had a leadership retreat a couple of weeks ago, and we as a leadership decided to spend a Saturday together and just to talk about the life of the church and what's been going on. And we did that a couple of weeks ago. We had a really productive time together, and we had some laughs. Uh, we spend lots of time in prayer and encouraging one another as well. And it was just a really positive time. So thank you for your prayers in that area. And as we look forward to this upcoming year into the rest of the year, we're asking for God's direction and wisdom in this. And we are grateful that we can lead this church and be a part of this church with you guys. Uh, it's a real honor. And the leadership team is, is dedicated right in the staff. And we're very grateful for them and for the work they're doing. So just a quick update on that. And just to remind you, too, we have an announcement at the end of the service that ties into our leadership retreat as well. Uh, we've been talking lots as a church about women in leadership, and we've got an announcement about that today, and we'd like you to stick around for that announcement. So please, uh, after, before the uh, last song comes on, we will jump into the announcement as well. So I also want to give you an update about uh, my family and what's been happening with me. Now, if you don't know, my father... I uh, had a heart attack on February 14th, and he passed away on March 5th uh, in Vancouver. And I just want to give you a quick update because you guys have been so gracious in supporting my family here while I was away and e everything in between. So hats off to you, and many of you have been asking about what's been going on. And I just wanted to give you, again, just a very quick update as to what all transpired there. Uh, February 14th is when I got the phone call that my father had a heart attack, and my dad's an old-school immigrant, uh, came over from Fiji in 1968, started his own business, and he's stubborn. He always was stubborn. And he had this heart attack, and what he decided to do was he decided to drive himself to the hospital, which wasn't a great idea. And he actually pulled over onto the road. He was walking towards the hospital because he couldn't drive anymore. He actually collapsed, and somebody had found him and had taken him the rest of the way. So I got the phone call, and uh, Laura and I, my wife, and I were talking about when I should get out there, and we talked about it sooner than later. And I jumped on a plane pretty quickly, flew out to Vancouver, and I got picked up at the airport, and we went directly to the hospital and went to see my dad. And my dad was in ICU at this point, and he was breathing through just a nostril tube at this point. He was doing okay, uh, but the, the heart attack did cause a lot of damage to his heart. And... What happened was we got there Saturday, we visited, and I went back home to my mom's house and went back to the hospital the next day. Uh, my family was with me, but they were in another part of the hospital. And the doctor who was looking after my father came in and he said, you know, your dad's uh, breathing is laboring, and if we don't intubate him, which basically means they take a tube and they put it down your throat and it goes in your body, it helps your heart, it helps you breathe, etc. And they said if we don't intubate him today, he won't survive the night. I said, well, we got to do what we got to do here. So let's absolutely make it happen. So they're in the room preparing him. And I was in the room with my dad. And for the, let me give you some background real quick. I came to Christ when I was 21. And I've been praying for my family for a long time, 20-some-odd uh, years, that they would find salvation in Jesus. And so we're in the room. And I said to the doctors and the nurses that were in the room, I said, I need a favor. I need you to clear the room. 
Uh, well, they said, well, we're preparing him. He needs to go very quickly. I said, well, this is important. And so I asked, can you guys just give me the room for about 10 minutes? They said, okay, make it as quick as you can. I said, sure. So they left, and I was sitting beside my dad, and we just started to talk. And I said, Dad, I have talked to you about Jesus for a long time. You know that. And I asked him, who do you think Jesus is? And he said a few things. And I said, you know, I can't make the choice for you about accepting Christ. Only you can do that. You're in the hospital. I see that, but Jesus can still give you peace and hope. Not just for today, but forever. And I think it's an important decision, but you can only make, and I can't do that for you. And I, and I talked about the Bible saying, you know, you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And I said, Dad, do you want to make a decision for Jesus today? And he said, yes. Yeah, amen. He said, yes. I was shocked. In my brain, I didn't know what to think, but I was super grateful. And I said, okay, Dad, to remind you again, I, I said again who Jesus was, what his purpose was for us dying on the cross for our sins, and my dad understood that fully. And we prayed together, and he accepted Christ. And then he took him away. Yes, yes, absolutely. And they took him away, and they, they went, and a lot of things have happened since that conversation before he passed, and I won't get into all of it. Uh, there's a lot of things that have happened. And I can say this with a shadow of a doubt, that, and there are a lot of comments from my family that would say to me, you seem so calm and you're so strong. And I said, there's a lot of people praying. And that's God in my life. That's the only reason. And so what happened was he accepted Christ. And I, I was at his bedside every single day. And he was uh, in, on a bunch of machines. He couldn't speak on his own very well. He was intubated. He was on a heart pump. He was on eight machines, I believe. And, 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 and I, I was watching him kind of going, wow, this is keeping him alive. And the doctor had told me that they eventually want to take off some of the medication he's on, and by the end of the week, hopefully, he can take off some of the tubes and the machines he's on. I said, okay, great. So on Thursday, the day before I was leaving, they took out his breathing tube, and he was breathing through oxygen, and he was more coherent. And every day I sat beside him, I would say, Dad, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And he would nod, yes, yes. So one quick story on this. What happened was my dad, very rough guy, Soft heart when it comes to his kids, but strong, immigrant kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, just that guy. He got a bunch of earrings. He's just that guy. Super unique. At our wedding, he was the highlight. He stole the show. So he was talking. My mom was at the edge of the bed, and she was weeping, and she was really upset and sad, obviously, because of what was going on. And my dad always spoke in a very rough kind of a way. But I remember one thing he said. My mom was weeping. My dad kind of stood up his head a little bit. He opened his eyes, and he looked directly at my mom, and he said this, very simple, but he said, everything's going to be okay. But the way he said it, there's a chiseled heart there. There's a softness to him I've never heard before, and it took me back a little bit, and I knew that the Holy Spirit was working in him. That was more confirmation. So I was leaving on Friday. He was out of the tube. He could breathe through a nostril, and... I, I gave him a hug, I told him I loved him, I kissed him, and I said, you know, keep your eyes on Jesus. And he said, okay. And I left, and I knew that would be the last time I'd see him alive. And I came back, and here we are today. And I want to tell you that story because you guys have been great, fantastic. Um, I said to Laura when this all started and when everything transpired with my father that, you know, we were in Calgary, I was traveling a lot with my last job, and we were involved in the church, but not super deeply. Our church community wasn't huge. We had lots of friends. But I said to Laura, of all the places for this to happen, we're glad it happened here. And that says a lot about you guys. It says a lot about this church. 
not just for me. I know a lot of you folks have been rallied around by people in this church, so we're grateful. All right, today is Palm Sunday, and this is the week before Easter. This is the part of Jesus' life that is called the triumphal entry. Now, Jesus is heading into Jerusalem, and they want to celebrate the Passover. Now, the Passover is a time where the Jewish people celebrate their freedom from slavery when they were in Egypt. And so they're taking time to celebrate exactly what that's all about. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. As we think about Palm Sunday, it was a very interesting time. There's a lot of people there. It was crowded, and there's people that probably weren't even familiar with Jesus. But with all the ruckus that was going on, this would be a great time for people to start asking the question, who is this Jesus guy, and what is going on? And as Jesus was entering in, people were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But soon enough, not much longer from after this, soon people will be calling out, crucify him, crucify him. Now today I want to look at the story from a different perspective out of Luke 19. I'm going to look at the perspective from the donkey that Jesus had ridden on. And so we're reading out of Luke 19, verses 29 to 39. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead of him went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owner asked him, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the roads go down, the Mount Olives, the whole crowd of disciples became joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, something to understand that donkeys in those days were prized possessions. They were used for farming, for transportations. They would do a lot of work that a normal human being could not do. So for this owner to give away the donkey tells me a few things here. It, uh, first of all, talks about the authority of Jesus. The Lord needs it. Wow, if the Lord needs it, he can have it. He can take it. And that's what happens here. There's an act of submission that takes place here by the owner of this donkey. And the disciples take him. Now, as we talk about the story through the eyes of this animal, I want us to be in the same position and to think about that as well. Here's this animal that is given to Jesus, this donkey, and there's this sense of surrender. And as you think about your life, and as I think about my life, if Jesus came to you today and said this to you, and it said, would you give up something for me? Would you do it? If Jesus asked you to surrender something to him, for his glory and his purposes in your life, would you be willing to do it, regardless of what the cost would be for you? See, it's a question we have to ask ourselves because oftentimes we're not willing to let go and submit fully to God in every part of our life and to allow him to lead us. We give partial parts to him and we hold on to the other parts of it. But what's here is complete submission to say, do what you need to do. And it's a question we should be asking ourselves, Lord Jesus, do what you need to do for your purposes. 
We read in verse 32, those who were sent ahead him went and found it just as he has told them. As they're untying the colt, its owner asks them again, why are you untying the colt? See, as you look in verse 32, there's a symbolic gesture there that this colt, this donkey, is being untied to do the work for Jesus, with Jesus. So as you think about that animal being untied, the question I have for you this morning is, what is tying you down from ultimately serving Jesus? Is it anger? Is it apathy? Is it pride? The list can go on and on. The things that tie us down, that bog us down from serving Christ. What are those things in your life? What are those things in my life that tie me down from fully diving into who Christ is? And so he can use me fully to what he wants to use me for. Now, as you think about that question, and you understand that when we are untied to serve Christ, we will experience things we've never experienced before. Some of those will be challenges. Some of those will be joys. But the question is, are we letting Jesus use us, and are we untied for kingdom work? If not, reflect in your life and ask the question, what's holding you down? What do you need to sever off in your life that is holding you back from deeply following and serving Christ. Now, verse 35 says this, they brought it to Jesus, threw down their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, I want to say something about this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, it's significant that he rode in on a donkey and not a horse. The reason being is because a horse is a military animal. When a king rode into a city, they would often ride in on a horse. It was a sign of military aggression. But Jesus rides in on a donkey, which was often used for civil ceremonies, for times of peace, and it shows that Jesus was coming with humility and also not to overthrow the Roman government. So that was a huge symbolic gesture. But also we read in Scripture, it's a... Prophetic word as well. We read in Zechariah 9 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Prophetic words right there, many years before. And here comes Jesus. Unbelievable. Now, what's amazing to me is this. Now, I am not a horse fan, I do not like horses. I've had some bad experiences. And I don't know much about animals that way. However, I do know this. I've watched enough Western movies to recognize this. When a horse, or a donkey for that matter, is brand spanking new, you've got to break it in, don't you? And some of you people that are farmers are waving their head going, yep, you've got to break it in. This donkey has never been ridden on before. And the first person to ride this donkey is Jesus. Now let's picture this for a second. Jesus is on this donkey. He's in Jerusalem, and there's crowds of people shouting and shrieking. It's like a celebration. And this animal is walking down the path with people shouting in its ears, and yet the animal stays calm because Jesus is on top of it. See, Jesus brings a sense of calm. The animal isn't spooked at all because of Jesus' presence. And that's an incredible thing to think about. For a normal person to ride a horse that's never been broken, or a donkey for that matter, there's going to be probably some trouble. But Jesus shows here that he can bring calm in situations when we might be on the verge of losing it. You know the old analogy about a duck on the water, they look real calm, but underneath they're just flapping the little legs. Sometimes we can be like that. 
Jesus brings calm into situations. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and to persevere, to fix our eyes on Jesus when chaos comes because that's the only way we're going to get through. See, when I was in Vancouver for my dad's funeral, there was a lot going on. It wasn't a typical Christian funeral because nobody in my family knows Christ. It was chaotic. They have a holy man. They call him a pundit. He was leading the services. There's lots of rituals involved. There's about 300 people at this funeral. And I remember we were nearing the end of it. And I, what happens is the family members on my dad's side, myself included, stand beside the casket up front and people come see the body and come shake your hands. And they gave me about, they started off with 20 minutes in the service I could speak in. Uh, I got cut down to five. So I took the five minutes and I shared Jesus. And I talked about the peace my dad's experiencing. I talked about the hope that comes in Christ. And I took the opportunity as best as I could and I talked about Jesus. And what's amazing about that whole time, and people ask, it's a place where there was no hope. You could cut the no hope with a knife. And if you've ever been to a different culture's funeral outside of a Christian funeral, if you haven't gone, I encourage you to go. Because you will understand what hope truly is when we have Christ. You will truly see it live. So we're in this funeral, and it's about to be over, and in my family's tradition, and like a lot of cultures, they cremate the body. And as the youngest son, it was my responsibility to be a part of this journey. And we were carrying my father in the casket, and we were rolling him towards the, the cremation room. And I was on the front line, and here's my dad's empty body there. But to my family, and even to me, it's still my dad's body. So we rolled him into the furnace room, and there's only 15 people allowed in there. And in the corner were my nieces, my nephews, my mom, my sisters. And I was on the front with a couple of my cousins. And I was on the front row, and I was supposed to roll him in into the furnace. And I did. I rolled him in. And outside of the door, there's a button that I was supposed to press to start the flames. My uncle did it for me. We walked out, and as soon as we left that room, Everybody outside of that room knew what was supposed to happen. He's gone. And people started to lose it. There was, there was screaming and wailing that I haven't seen before at a funeral. And I've been to a Hindu funeral before. My mom, I had to console her. She almost passed out. My sisters were in extreme pain. Everybody was literally losing it. There's 300 people there, about 100 people were in complete chaos. And I'm in the middle of this, and my prayer this whole time while I'm experiencing this, and while I'm there, come, Lord Jesus, come. That's all I'm saying through the whole time. And in the midst of this chaos, I am calm because of Jesus. It has nothing to do with me. And people were commenting to me, even at the funeral, how strong I've been. And I pointed it back to Christ. 
And that's why I could stand there and support my family and to walk with them. Because at the end of the day, I knew in my heart of hearts that my father is with Jesus today. And that gave me greater hope. I was at peace. I'm still at peace today. I miss my dad. I'm going to see him one day. I am. And I'm grateful for that. Now, when you think about that story and this idea of when we're, when we're keeping our eyes on Christ, we need to do that in the chaos of our life. The Bible continues to say this, and when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, Jesus brings calm, and he brought calm to that donkey. That's because of his Holy Spirit and the presence that he is. And now, as you think about your life and the journey, I want you to think about this animal, this donkey that was on a path. And this path that's ahead of us that Jesus took that day with this donkey. See, there's a path for us as well. And we have to ask ourselves, what path are we on? Are we on the path that Jesus is directing or am I on a path that I'm creating my own? And how do we get back onto the track, on the path that God has in front of us. Proverbs 69 says this, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. See, we can plan all we want, but God often has different things in life, and there's different purposes in our life. But there's a part of the journey that we're on, we have to wait on Jesus at times, don't we? We have to wait to see what the plan is. I came to Christ when I was 21, and I went to a Bible school in Calgary years ago. And I met some friends out there that I was connected with. They didn't attend the Bible school, but but I became good friends with them. I left Calgary, went back to Vancouver, worked at a drop-in center for kids. And that's what I did. But as I was doing this, and I was involved in my church in some leadership areas as a volunteer, I was waiting on what God had in store for me, because I knew he had called me to ministry. But I was waiting it out. And so one time I was praying and I was hanging out with God and I was asking God, what do you want me to do? He says this to me, I want you to move to Calgary. Why? I don't know many people in Calgary. I knew like four people in Calgary at the time. So he's like, pack a bag and go. So I did. I packed a small bag. I phoned up my buddy, Bernie, and I said, I feel like God is saying I need to come live with you. What do you think about that? And he's like, brother, I'm with you. So I showed up at his house in Ogden, just outside of Calgary, very small home. I showed up. I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. God says I'm supposed to come. I'm here. So I lived there. So they put me in the basement for the first time. Undeveloped basement, a couch about this big, right beside the furnace. All night long. It was brutal. So they moved me upstairs to another couch in the main living room. So this is what I did. I lived with this friends of mine for three months. I journaled, I read, I prayed, I went for walks, I got annoyed, I got frustrated. There was no Netflix, there was no TV, there was, I had no car, and all I was told is to wait on God. Some of you have been there. Hope you had a bigger couch than I did, but some of you have been there. And waiting on God is hard at times. But if we're on a journey with God, there's a time where he's going to call us out to wait on him so he can show us what the next steps are. So I sat there and I lived there for three months. 
I was bored at times. I was frustrated at times. I wasn't making any money. I was basically at somebody else's leisure. I had their schedule to work. I couldn't do anything. I felt trapped, but in a good way. So this is what happened. I won't tell you the full story, but I'll tell you this. So I'm praying through Jesus. I know you called me into ministry. What do you want me to do? And in my spirit, as I quieted and I was fasting and I was listening, he says this to me. I want you to move to Edmonton. Edmonton? We used to make fun of Edmonton when we lived in Vancouver. Who goes to Edmonton? Edmonton is about three hours away from Calgary. I'm like, what are you doing, Jesus? Come on now. And so I haven't told anybody this. And I have a friend of mine in Calgary at the time. His name was Ed. He was a mentor of mine. Big six foot three, four guy, 280 pounds. He illuminated the power of the Holy Spirit. Like when he walked into a room, you could see the Spirit was with him. We met at a dingy Tim Hortons in Ogden. I said, I'll meet you there for coffee. I'd love to talk to you about something. He walks in. I'm waiting for him. The place literally lights up because of the illumination of the Holy Spirit in his brother's life. He's a big guy. He sits down. He looks directly at me, says nothing but this. Mesh, God is calling you to move to Edmonton to start your ministry. I didn't tell him. Come on, give me an amen for that. Amen. That's God. That is God's power through my friend Ed. And I was just like, what just happened? Am I on candid camera? And I was like, and it just resonated. Boom, hit my spirit. I knew it was confirmed. And we were wrapping up our meeting, and he looked at me, and he wagged his big finger. I'll never forget this. And he said to me, Mesh, and he said it with conviction, don't let anybody ever deter you from following Jesus, no matter what the cost. I'll never forget that, ever. And I am reminded of that story for you because it tells me that there are times in our life we need to wait for God. This donkey was waiting for Jesus to show up. The disciples were waiting for Jesus to show up. But we have to wait on God. What are you waiting on for God? Are you at a place where you need to make a decision in your life and you're waiting on God? Don't give up the ghost. Keep waiting. Keep hanging in there. I don't know when you will get a revelation from Jesus. I don't know. But you got to hang in there. If I gave up in that three-month journey in Calgary at the time, would I be here today? I'm not even sure. God's bigger than all of that. I get that. But there's a learning and obedience when you're three months away from your family and your friends, and there's a growth there. There's a challenge there. There's discomfort there. There's annoyances there. But at the end of it, you can look back and say, God put me through the ringer, but I'm way better for it. You know, as we think about this Scripture here in Psalm 40, it says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, Jesus can do that for us. We wait patiently for the Lord. You know, I... That story ends really amazingly, and I won't tell today, but I will share it one day. And I'm so grateful for that time, but I would encourage you again today, don't stop seeking God. As we wrap this up, and we think about this, this little donkey, 
and we think about the plans that we have. See, our plans and God's plan may look completely different. We might have a straight path. I got it. But then God shows up. He goes, I got something for you. I got something for you. How are we going to respond? When I was in Calgary, I felt like the bottom of that picture. That's what I felt like. But there comes something amazing when we are uncomfortable. Let me say that again. When we are uncomfortable to do kingdom work. Did you catch that? If you look at the Bible, how many people are uncomfortable to do God's work? Sometimes we're too comfortable and we want to do our own thing. I believe when God calls us, a lot of times it is uncomfortable. Now, this donkey was part of the great plan of redemption that God had for all creation. Played an integral part, believe it or not. When Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem, he was fulfilling prophecy. All that was spoken, the Messiah was coming to life here. He also proclaimed, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, not with violence. He didn't come to overthrow the government. It wasn't a revolution. He did it out of grace and love and sacrifice. You know, Jesus used this donkey to move towards Calvary, towards the cross as a sacrifice that Christ did for us. And in God's holiness, his purity, he died for us. And we'll learn more about that next week during Easter. This idea of the sacrifice that God has made for us and the journey that we're on together. You know, as you've come here this morning and you think about your life and, and where you're at, is God calling you to do something radically different than what you're used to? Is God calling you to make a decision in your life that will make you uncomfortable? Is God putting you on a path that you're afraid to go down? What if God's calling you down somewhere and he's saying, untie all that stuff, submit to me, and I will direct you. I will guide you. What an awesome place to be. What an amazing place to be. If you've come here this morning and you're in a place of decision, you're seeking out the Lord's decision, I ask you to continue to engage in that. Ask for clarity. Let's see what God has in store for you. If you're walking on your own path this morning and you're, you're engaging your life on your own and you will notice a difference when you're doing stuff on your own because when I do stuff on my own, I fall flat on my face. But when I let Jesus direct me, things aren't necessarily easy. I just have a lot more clarity and a more understanding and hope in the situation. And if you're on that path today, I encourage you to get back on the path that God has for you and to seek that out. And perhaps, maybe you've come this morning and you're trying to figure out who Jesus is. Who is he in your life? Who is the son of God? You know, Jesus is the son of God. He came down to this earth. He was born, he walked on this earth. And he died on the cross. And he rose again. And he looked at death and he said, no, not going to happen. And he did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for my dad. And that's who Christ is. And if you are trying to figure this out, I want to say this to you. Jesus loves you unconditionally. Capture that. It doesn't matter what you've done. You are redeemed in Jesus. And that's the hope we have at Calvary. The cross is because of Jesus. And if you've come this morning and you want to give your life to Christ and you want to know what that means, I would love to chat with you about that. Pastor Chris, Pastor Xavier, others will be around as well because it is the greatest and the most important decision you will ever make hands down because there's so much at stake. 
And if you've come here this morning and you have been following Jesus for a long time, but you are in a rut, you are stuck, you are hopeless, you are feeling the heaviness of life, you too should come and ask for prayer and be encouraged so we can let you know you are not alone. We are with you. We are the church, and the church is for the broken. This is a hospital for the sick. I am sick. Every single one of us is. And because of the cross and because of Jesus, we can come together and say, we're in this, and we're in this together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that you sent Jesus. I thank you for the journey you put Jesus on. And I pray, God, as we look at our life through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that you'd give us direction, that you'd give us understanding. And Father, if we're on a path that is far from you, I ask you to give courage where courage is needed, hope where hope is needed, so people can make a decision to honor and follow you. God, I know it's not easy. It's so hard at times, God. We've got voices, we've got distraction, we have all these things we worry about. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us such clarity of mind that we would know the path you have for us, the things we need to untie and walk away from. And God, for those this morning who are seeking out what it means to follow you, I pray in Jesus' name they would stand up to believe who you are and accept the fact that you love them, that you're the son of God, and you're coming back one day, and we're looking forward to that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we wrap up the service, uh, at the leadership retreat that I mentioned earlier, we talked about a lot of things. And one of the things we talked about was uh, women in leadership. It's been a conversation that's going on for a while here. And we wanted to uh, read something to you this morning about uh, where things are at with that. So I'm going to ask Chris Conrad to come up. Chris Conrad is uh, the leader, our head of our board of elders. Uh, we have a great leadership team here, including the staff. Uh, somebody had said at our staff retreat, our, our leadership retreat the other day that there's a sense of unity here in this church, in our leadership especially, and amongst here. That's an amazing thing. That's a God thing. So Chris is going to come up graciously and read us the deal. Thanks, Master. Good morning, everybody. On behalf of the leadership team uh, at Meadowbrook, we wanted to give you an update on our journey uh, with women in leadership. Over the past two years, we have had many teachings and discussions around women in leadership. Through this process, we've given a lot of time to prayer and have asked the Holy Spirit to give us discernment as we've gathered feedback from the church. At every stage, through sermons, the survey, information, teaching nights, group discussions, and individual discussions, we've been constantly asking you to come and share your thoughts with us. The issue of women's roles within the church is a disputable matter. People on both sides of the debate have scripture they can point to, which makes a tricky issue for a church. We have tried very hard to create a respectful and open conversation about these matters. No one is being asked to change their minds or their convictions but we have asked everyone to respectfully acknowledge the other, the other side's points and remember that our love for one another and our unity as a church is more important than being right on a disputable matter. After this season of sharing and sensing where the majority of our church is feeling God leading, the leadership team would like to encourage both men and women to be involved and engaged in leadership roles as our current approved bylaws puts no limits on any roles based on gender. As we move forward, both women and men can be considered for eldership and can be considered for supporting pastor roles. The lead pastor or teaching pastor roles will remain as they are, and this is something that we will need to further discuss later down the road. No woman will ever be released into any role simply because she is a woman like any man, 
putting a person in eldership and pastoral roles is to look at their character and qualifications and is always done in a prayerful, spirit-led process of discernment. We want to thank all of you for the time and energy that you have spent praying and discerning with us as we have and will, and will continue to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance for us as a church. We are available to discuss these matters for anyone who's interested after. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. Worship team, you guys can come up. If you have any discussion about this, leadership will be available uh, to talk. And I would encourage you, uh, one of the great ways to protect unity is to be in conversation together. Uh, and so if you've got any thoughts you want to bring, please come talk to us about this. Uh, what's really amazing is to see how God has moved in and through this church. And the biggest thing that we've been talking about as we've gone through this journey, and others as they come up, because they will come up, is this idea that we honor one another in relationship that we keep the unity of the body and we continue to walk together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for bringing us together. And we thank you for the word we heard from Mesh. And Father, we pray that you give us hearts that are soft, that hearts that are filled with your glory and your spirit. Father, we want to be people who seek you first and who are fixed on you. We praise you. We love you this morning. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.